HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. In the Tuxpan region of Jalisco, like in many regions of Mexico, agave spirits are integrated into the fabric of daily life. They're part of the religion, literally, the spirits, and they're almost always called some form of mezcal locally, even though they are not certified. The spirits are served at every one of the community's many religious fiestas. So when the production of these spirits is at risk, literally, the cultural heritage of the entire community is at risk. And that's what's happening in one community in Tuxpan. Don Arturo is a fifth-generation mescalero, or palenquero, or tabanero, or really tachiquero, because that's what his family calls their little distillery, a tachica. It was built by Don Arturo's father, who learned the craft from his father, who learned the craft from his father. And add one more father, because Don Arturo is, as I say, fifth generation. So Don Arturo's Tachica is a hillside gem, a couple of clay-topped steel pot stills, in-ground fermenters, and an earthen oven overlooking a forested hillside. But that hillside is eroding. The rains from the extreme weather that has been plaguing the region in recent years is literally washing away Don Arturo's little distillery and threatening to take with it the community's cultural heritage. With the financial support we're receiving from 818 Tequila, Sacred is rebuilding Don Arturo's family tachica, or really what we're doing is we're fortifying it so as not to interrupt that heritage. We're rebuilding and reinforcing the hillside that has been eroded, creating a retaining wall that will secure the location. Above that, to serve as a buffer for the weakest part of the earth, we're building a modest tasting room where the locals can sit and enjoy the view of that forested hillside when they come to purchase Don Arturo's Vino de Mezcal. And we're building a structure around Don Arturo's earthen oven so that his tapatas are no more at the whim of the changing weather patterns than his rebuilt tachica will be. This effort to preserve Don Arturo's family business and the cultural heritage of this community in Southern Jalisco is only possible because of a grant sacred received from 818 Tequila. To learn more about this and the other projects 818 Tequila is funding, please visit us at sacred.mx. That's sacred.mx. The earth is home to all of us, and we're honored to have been selected by 818 Tequila as their partner in making it a more welcoming home. I am Lou Bank. 
I am Chava Perivan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the fat-free podcast that helps Gringex bartenders better understand agave, agave spirit, and rural Mexico. Wow. I think this is the loudest time I've ever heard you do this. I think you get louder, but really? I think you get louder every episode. Anyways, so <laughs> I think I think you're just having to turn up your your headphones to hear me because you keep those those earbuds in your ears too long and you're you're losing your hearing. You're becoming the old man that I'm not. Ah, uh, maybe. Maybe. But I, I would rather not explore that in detail. Let's start What do you want to explore today then, Java? <laughs> well, yes, that's uh that's where I wanted to get to. I think that today I want to talk about something that we have touched many times indirectly. I think it has been part of our arguments a multitude of times, but we have never actually dedicated a full episode to this. And I think the Hmm. question that I would like to answer is if I am trying to make a mezcal that has a huge sales potential, how does that Mm -hmm. mezcal should look like, should taste like? should be thought of? Like, what is the story that that mezcal should tell? You know, all these elements that ultimately make a mezcal brand. That's really interesting. Yeah. You know, you're right. We have touched on this. I, I can't remember. Was it, I think it's Vamanos Riendo that talks about how um, they try to make their brand bright and friendly uh, because they saw that there were so many brands in the market that were the branding itself. Forget about the flavor of the mezcal, but the branding itself was very dark and foreboding. And I remember to them saying that usually the branding that they saw on other companies was way too self-referential, that they were always telling their own story, whereas they were not actually telling the story of the people that were consuming the product. I remember that small detail as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Okay, so you want to talk about that from what standpoint? Well, that's where it gets complicated, right? Because what is the most important part about a mezcal? If you were to ask me in, 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 a, in, a, in my full honesty, it is how does it taste like? But then taste is well that's but that's but that's that's true of anything that we consume is the most important part is do people like to taste it no no i think that well and actually i I think you were going to push back on this so now i need to push back on this crap anyway (laughs) (laughs) well no i think a lot of the things that we like uh it is because they position us in the world by liking them I think that a lot of the times we might not be great fans of how something feels or how something tastes, but the the way that it makes us look or the way that it makes us like that it connects with our identity well, makes it appealing. Yeah, yeah. In essence, you're talking about identity, and it, without question, I would agree well, with but you. But I, I hate the word people... identity. Actually, I shouldn't be using it. But anyways, okay, go. No, no, I think it's absolutely right. I think that people enjoy being the kind of person that can walk into a Starbucks and pay $5 for coffee. And that's why coffee went from being a dollar a cup to $5 a cup. But I also don't want... But I don't think that happens if they hate the taste of the coffee. Like, I'm not... You know, like every, taste is subjective. Yeah. Taste is absolutely subjective. And, uh, and so, like, I know... I shouldn't say I know. I'm guessing you're not a fan of McDonald's, right? I, well, you know what? Uh, have you ever seen French fries and then you get a French fry, dip it into ice cream? Have I ever seen French fries? Well, no. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> have you seen me, Chava? <laughs> you have lost a lot of weight lately, so you do not look like someone that... Uh... Okay, so... I- 
I haven't seen a French fry in 18 months, but besides There you go. That, there you go. That's what I meant. <laughs> you know, I used to I used to I used to work at uh, at Wendy's when I was uh, when I was in college for ten minutes. I worked at Wendy's and I was part of the the breakfast team. And I would take the uh, we had these little hash browns and I would dip them into the mayonnaise that was there for the the prep for the the hamburgers. So if you ate like a hamburger, you probably got some of my spit. Um, oh, lovely. But lovely. like I'm I'm big on dipping deep fried potatoes into anything, ice cream, mayonnaise, you name it. Okay, well. Before we even go forward, I I was doing a little bit of research. <laughs> no, I was doing I was doing research about taste. Uh, I I went and looked into some journals, did some actually some academic uh you know look looking around, and I came across this beautiful quote. So I'm gonna throw it yeah. before uh we we, we continue. So I, I just I just think it's it really amplifies how we can understand this. So here it goes. I'm gonna read it from my notebook, and it goes like. Taste concerns processes of communion with food, style, or knowledge, all of which communicate social positioning and relations of hierarchy. What? I think that is... Somebody... <laughs> no. Somebody's thought this... Like, okay, so so taste is clearly more than just what's on your palate. I'm with you, right? Like, aroma is a big part of taste. You smell it, and the smell is what you taste. I get that. But I don't think that people think they like Starbucks because paying $5 for something means it must be delicious, therefore I must like it. I, you know, I'm not saying that never happens, but I am saying I don't think you get a movement like Starbucks as a result of that. I, I, I don't think that either, but I believe what I really like about this quote, it's that it talks about communion and it talks about a relationship with what is happening with you and what you're consuming. And I think if there's something that I fundamentally respect about the United States is that you guys have been geniuses at taming a lot of rather aggressive culinary traditions or very specific culinary traditions and morphing them into something that was palatable for a larger audience, for the melting pot that the United States is. So suddenly... So you're talking about when we took Chinese food and we made up a couple of dishes and said, this is Chinese food. And, and you know, I, th like that? I think a lot of people will talk about this uh, with not a very high regard. Taco Bell. Yes. And, hard shell tacos. And, and, Ortega tacos. And I think, and, and like, uh, I don't know how this is going <laughs> to come across, but I think that is the ultimate act of tolerance. To take a tradition that was not feeding a larger group of people and making it palatable for larger crowds, for then maybe in the future, get more specific and get to something like the taco movement that you have in the United States right now. I will claim that. God. What? What? <laughs> no, it's an interesting point. And I got to say, you warned me before we even started recording that you were going to back end our way into it. <laughs> I think you've just done a brilliant job of that, Java. <laughs> well, but you don't because in essence, I mean, right? Like what I wanted like th this episode, because of course we, while it sounds like we never organize anything or plan anything, we actually send notes to each other before we record most episodes. And the point to this ep episode was supposed to be, and is really, um, a discussion of the mezcal that is directed at geeks. Like yourself and, and myself, Java. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? 
And then the stuff that actually sells, the stuff that, that is meant for those masses, which is, in essence, what you're saying, right? Well, what I am saying is that even the geek, what we, the the palette of the American or the gringo mezcal geek, it's sort of an invention. I actually was laughing a little bit when you sent me the notes for this episode because you were saying that uh, that you love the cheese in the flavors or you love the jalapenos in the flavors of these super specialized agave spirits that supposedly are directed towards, towards the geeks. But I was uh, looking at an interview the other day from, uh, from a mezcalera that I think her palate is brilliant and she was saying that the one thing that she values the most flavor-wise is the flavor of extremely ripe fruit. And when you talk with my dad that also grew up huh. in rural Mexico, for him, the ultimate flavor was that. He, he has stories about him and his friends hiding fruit under banana leaves, leaving them for days, and then coming back to get this over, like almost like a jam. And just the, this flavor profile. Over, it wasn't a jam. It was booze. You're, no, you're, well, no, it was, <laughs> he was not getting drunk booze. with his friend. No, yes. no, it's it's over the top ripe fruit, and that's something that if you ask a lot of the older generations, that's a flavor in Mexico that it's very highly appreciated. So, and mm. that is for th- that is maybe what the taste of a mezcal for Mexican geeks would look in Mexico, whereas a mezcal for Mex- for American geeks might have a lot of cheese into it. Is this making any sense? Oh. I, yeah, that's fair. I get that. Because yeah. like, like growing up, the first exotic, crazy flavors I tried would have been like super, super uh, uh, old cheese. And, and, f- yeah. and for you, that meant growing up. For you, those flavor profiles was, this is what adults eat. This is not children's food. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. So so what I'm trying to communicate in a way. God, Jesus, Chava, you just <laughs> oh my goodness. What is the oh man, what is the food that I think pairs best with agave spirits? Cheese. Cotija cheese. No. Oh. No. Uh sushi. Sushi. Yeah, there you go. And literally, like I can remember very like explicitly thinking. I'm an adult now. I'm eating raw fish. I wonder if that's it. So, and, and I think this is the... the I love that <laughs> idea, Java. Well, like, and I think this is the precise moment to get Shirley's quote, because I, I think that's, <laughs> sure. that, that's going to round a little bit of this conversation. It's going to redirect it. And I do have uh, another comment on top of what she's going to be saying. Okay. So this is this is a quote from Shirley Leigh Wood Oaks. Uh, she's the owner of the brand Mezcal Compante. Take it away, Shirley. Yeah, that's really interesting because, of course, we come up against it and, you know, well, we come up against a lot of people who are total mezcal geeks and they want to, you know, know everything about how we're making our mezcal and really go deep. And I I love it. I love having that moment. And of course, you know, and, and being able to talk about us as a brand and what we're doing. And I think, don't get me wrong. There will be a few who are like, well, this is, you know, very much like a entry mezcal. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. And is that we are, we are, this is our first skew. It is meant to be drinkable and for more of a broader market. I'm not, we're not trying to be, you know, some, you know, something that we're not. Um, But what I can stand by is that, you know, we really do consider that, like I've said, it's that that heritage and that craftsmanship, we still are going through the same processes, you know, that's 
very important to us. Um, but what, you know, what I do love to hear, and I hear this a lot, which makes me very happy, is when they say, well, I now know that I've got a mezcal that I can have at parties or with my friends who maybe aren't as big a mezcal lovers as me. And that makes me happy because that is what we, you know, that's what I want. Like you should have a big collection of mezcals. I have a huge collection of mezcals. you know, and that's what's so wonderful is, you know, being able to try all the different types. But, you know, if you are a huge mezcal lover and not all your friends are, at least you've got one now that you can you can share with them and know that they're going to enjoy it. Great. So I I would like to say that are you familiar with the concept of comfort food? <laughs> with comfort food. Yes, yeah. of well, course I this am. Is, this is a concept. Grilled cheese and tomatoes. Well, it is a concept that I that I did not know existed until I was in, in the Philippines. Like I, I had. Really? Yeah, like I had never. I know. Like I just had never seen that brand. We were just in the Philippines like three years ago. Exactly. I had never seen that concept as, as part of a, as a restaurant. Oh. oh, wait a minute. I think I get it. You know why? Why? Because all Mexican food is comfort that is, food. Well, maybe. And that, that that's actually a great point. But what I'm trying to say is that I was very, conf- like, it, it, it was like a great realization for me. Or like, it, it was sort of something that I had never thought about that. And and I think in the in the Philippines, I saw that because it's part of their culture, but they have so much, so, so much gringo influence that they have adapted stuff. And I... And I started getting fascinated about which are these flavors that for people that live in the United States, they find them familiar, comforting, non-threatening. Which are these profiles that just give you a nice rub on the back and tell you, Lou, this is a day of pure leisure and, and comfort. And I think that when Shirley's talking about these flavors that are going to be yeah. inviting both for the geek and for the people that are not great mezcal enthusiasts. She's talking about the equivalent of comfort food, but in, in agave spirits. And to be absolutely honest, what really blows my mind about this is that I think I can understand so much about the United States by understanding which is this flavor profile. Like, like, but I cannot fully put my finger on it. Will you, do you have any speculations on that? Yeah, I just think you're wrong. So, like, I, I, like, I, oh, I, the idea of of these spirits tasting like comfort food is actually it's kind of the, like it's not the opposite, but I think it's it's a complete misdirection, ah. right? Like, I think I think in fact you were closer to the mark before the quote than you are <laughs> after the quote, because I, I I think you're right. I think what we manage to do in the USA so often, right or wrong, is we take um, these flavors and we turn them into something else that becomes more accessible. And your theory that the accessibility has something to do with comfort food, I think, misses the point. I think, mm. in fact, um, what we try to do is uh, make something more homogenous and make it fulfill sort of um, a, a Disney expectation of what it should be. But I think there. That, but I think you also have technical challenges in your country that that make it very difficult to do otherwise. Just like I'm, I'm thinking about all the food regulations that you have. You know, like you cannot have a lady with a tlacoyo stand in the middle of the street cooking with charcoal and selling stuff to you. 
Except that we do. I mean, you're not well, allowed to, but Yeah, we but do. in a few places. We do everywhere in the USA. I don't care where you are. There's some woman in the street cooking food somewhere. I promise you. You know, I, I, I but, but that is the kind of thing that will scare most people mm. that aren't experienced with it. On the other hand, they'll pull into a Taco Bell quite happily. And after, I don't know, six, seven years of loving the Taco Bell, then they'll go visit that woman and maybe have one of those uh, those thermos enchiladas, I'm sorry, those thermos uh, tamales that they'd be afraid of absent a Taco Bell. And and boy, I really don't want anyone to take away from this that I think Componte tastes like the Taco Bell version of Mezcal. That no, is not no, what I'm no, saying. No, yeah. but, I, but I am saying that, com, you know, compared to the, the crazy stuff that, that I tend to dig, um, it is much easier to access for the palate. And, you know, it's, it's like if you go back to if you go back to how we talk about um, or at least how I talk about uh, tasting these spirits for the first time, put it on your mouth, half a sip, hold it on your tongue because it's so complex and so crazy and it's a tower of babble in your mouth. Right. I'd like I, I would say the equivalent for um, uh, an approachable mezcal is instead of it being a tower of babble, it's maybe five languages. Okay. It's easier to decipher than this, the stuff that we tend to be drawn to. And I guess my, my, the question that I've been trying to ask this whole time and I just haven't been able to articulate it correctly is... Or because I've just been so loud and in interrupting you no, all the time. No, 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 it's been on me. Like, I, I I've actually <laughs> take responsibility for this. It's, what, like, what, what is that that you can... Because I think about Cristalinos, no? Like, Tequilas Cristalinos have, be, have had huge acceptance in the U.S. market. And what is... I'm sorry, did you say you've had huge reception? Well, uh, acceptance. Uh, like, it has great sales. Acceptance. I don't I don't know that that's true. I'm not saying it's not true, but I actually get the sense that they're more popular in Mexico than they are in the USA. Uh, yeah, I'm just, just because here we can do more shots of that and you don't feel drunk. <laughs> that's, that's the other. Even though it's the exact same amount of alcohol, it's just less color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's also like a 36 ABV. So, Christ just side note, side note, Cristalino is a tequila that's aged in wood, but then it's filtered, so the color's not there. So, it's exact same ABV, just, you know, no color. I, I've never been able to get drunk with Cristalino. Anyway, my, my, my question is... What? Yeah, I, I, I didn't say that. Uh, my question is, how would you describe that experience of five languages versus the Tower of Babel? Wh which are these, what does those flavors that are easier to decipher remind you of? Like it's cheese? Is it? What, what are the specific flavors? Yeah, like, like, like when you say that it's less crazy, it's more approachable, are you talking about Maybe that it's not so much connected with this flake like tobacco, like cheese, or just stuff that you think that it's over the top. I, I, I just, I think it's, I think, I think it's more simple. I think it's just you. There's something sweet about it. There's something a little smoky, not too smoky. There's something a little salty, not too salty. Mm. I think it's just that simple. And I, I think it would be um, uh, wrong, actually, to say that there's a specific profile to all of these yeah. quote unquote entry level yeah, mezcals because yeah, 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 yeah. they don't taste the yeah, same. Yeah, no, that'll be dumb. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, conclusion: which is a mezcal that sells? 
Well, the mezcal that sells is, you know, the mezcal that sells is the mezcal that actually is used most frequently in cocktails, let's be honest, which is going to be the less expensive mezcal. And, you know, these days generally is going to be the mezcal that has a strong enough note of smoke that that comes through in the cocktail because... In the USA right now, when we drink a mezcal cocktail, we expect it to be smoky. As a consequence, the mezcal that gets shipped up here primarily, 90% of it is espadine that is smoky so that it comes through in the cocktail. It's, you know, it's, everybody talks about this as though it's the brands, uh, but it's really the consumers that make the decision in the end as to what what we receive. And, and um yeah. 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 No, just, I, I get just it. Just that. And some and some of them I think taste absolutely great neat. I've had plenty I think Campante's great neat. I think Vamanos Riendo's great neat. I think Sombra's great neat. I've had plenty of and some of them it's like they're just it doesn't work for my palate. Yeah. Um, but hey, that's my palate. And for somebody else, it does work, particularly in a cocktail. Yeah. So the, so what's the mezcal that sells? Well, you and I both know right now, according to fi data figures, it's Espadine from Oaxaca. There you go. That's what it is. And and obviously, <laughs> you know, other these are other episodes, but I'd love to see it move so that we're not just Espadine from Oaxaca, because I think we're going to love Oaxaca to death um, by turning it into one giant Espadine farm. But I think I think there's a place for that, and I think that's going to be, as you say, as you said very intelligently um, and unexpectedly, uh, not because it's unexpected that you're intelligent, but uh, I just didn't expect it. I, I think it's going to be the thing that leads people to something more, I'm not even going to say more complex, but to something different. Yes, yes. And, and I think we are just starting to understand how that can look like. How how can a happy future for mezcal can look like? And I don't think anybody has the right, absolute right answer, but we have a lot of clues that we might explore in other episodes. Yes, and I don't care what it looks like. All I care about is what does it tastes like. <laughs> okay, Lou, it was a pleasure as always. I'm sorry for taking such a crazy detour, and I'll see you very soon. Hasta pronto. See ya, bato. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food 
the world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly, too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.